are dear are, are you ready to get started yeah okay we we i suppose we haven't really done any of the back and forth that henry and i do but i suppose that's that's because you know henry and i would kind of catch up yeah you and I... I mean i'm <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you every day, you know. We would yeah. just like catch up on, I guess, I don't know. How was how's the last 5 minutes? Good. <laughs> yeah, good, you know. <laughs> um I had a nice sip of coffee. Good, good. I'm glad. <laughs> um, but no, let's let's jump into it. Perfect. Hey there, film buds. Welcome back to the Film Buds podcast. I'm your host, Paul, and I'm joined today by my lovely wife uh and bud in all things, uh, Lauren. Hi. Uh, today we have our back to school episode for y'all. This is episode 185. And I decided to do something kind of cool and take a look back at the sort of, uh, birth of the teenager, both culturally and cinematically. So for our back to school episode, as you know, people have been returning to school this week from, from Labor Day and things like that. We're going to be looking at Rebel Without a Cause and Blackboard Jungle, both from from 1955. One in color and in cinemascope, one black and white. Um, They're both very different films, but they're both kind of covering similar issues that had been talked about um, at large during that time. Uh, We're also going to be talking about, uh, of course... The new Matrix trailer that recently dropped, Matrix Resurrections. And we might even talk the Malignant trailer. We're going to watch, talk about some of the stuff that we've been watching. And we'll also probably talk a little bit about through that 9-11 as well, because we have been watching a little bit of of 9-11 related content. So our first film is going to be Rebel Without a Cause, of course, starring the uh, iconic James Dean. And we do, as always, have a clip. So take a listen. You know what kind of drunken brawls those parties turn into. It's no place for kids. A minute ago, you said you didn't care if he drinks. He said a little drink. You're tearing me apart! What? You, you say one thing, he says another, and everybody changes back again! Girls don't love their father. Since when? Since I got to be 16? Stop that! I love you, Jim. That was Rebel Without a Cause from 1955, directed by Nicholas Ray, written by Stuart Stern and uh, Nicholas Ray, loosely an adaptation of Irving Shulman's uh, work, and... um, the premise is a rebellious young man with a troubled past comes to a new town finding friends and enemies. Um, it stars James Dean, Natalie Wood, Sal Mineo, Jim Bacchus, Bacchus, uh, Anne Doran, Corey Allen, uh, and it even has... A very young Dennis Hopper. As I said in the intro, the idea behind this was kind of to talk about the the origin of the teenager. Teenagers are, are in the in the news often. I taught teenagers for a year, and I think it's an interesting 
pocket of culture that has sort of sprung up in in America and you can trace its roots and see how it's so similar and how it's so different across time. So I wanted to sort of go back and and examine those roots cinematically. And I love research. My wife knows this. Some of the re- some of you listeners know this. And I started by going back to uh, my old cinema history David Cook uh, professor's textbook, History of Narrative Film, the fourth edition. Great book, by the way, if, if you don't have it. Um, and, you know, I knew that the teenager, even though adolescence and a teenager as a concept had been around before modern time, the concept of like a modern, you know, hoodlum teenager sort of thing really came around as, as part of the post-war culture of post-war referring, of course, to World War II. Mm-hmm. And I decided to look into the textbook and I got absolute complete sort of confirmation from this um he writes in the book about how the later part of the 40s and going into the 50s had this sort of snap effect where the high of the american war wore off and instead there was sort of this emptiness and this upsetness and this sort of snap effect reaction Um, that trickled down into all pockets of the culture. And also at this time, you now had uh, children, you know, working less in the workforce. You had, um, you know, families that had cars and things, you know, and you had like the sort of, you know, post-war boom of, of the economy turning around. But on a social level, there was a lot of upsetness, and there was also a certain amount of distrust and paranoia, you know, because that's when you start to run square into McCarthyism. And it's through all of this, this is a very long way of saying that essentially what ended up happening is you had a lot of young people who had this very tumultuous social surrounding and a lot of time on their hands to think about it and their place in the world. And it ended up sort of, I think, leading to a lot of... um that classic teen stuff that we hear about, you know, 50s kids doing drag races. And nice actually, <laughs> yeah, and, and actually at this time, you have a huge, and most people don't recognize this, you actually have a huge teenage pregnancy boom in the 50s. Um, and it's because kids are, you know, getting into getting into mischief with each other and, and fooling around and being teens. I mean, and, yeah, that's the whole old adage, you mm-hmm. know, the idle hands. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so one of the, one of the teen icons was James Dean. Probably the teen icon was James Dean. He was, he was a guy that every woman wanted to, um, be with. He was a a guy that every guy wanted to be, you know, he was... He was emotional, but he was also cool, you know? Like, it was it was this weird balancing act that he, he, he fought when he had to, you know? And, yeah, and... he was like the, the sensitive bad boy, mm-hmm. you know? He's approachable, but, but like, also, you know, you don't take him home to mom. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and, and I think that it's very interesting. And so I was also looking in the textbooks, and what you end up seeing is this rise of social consciousness films as he refers to it uh and semi-documentary films um where they go and try and focus on these 
very specific issues like alcoholism, mental illness, and he specifically cites juvenile delinquency, including Nicholas Ray's knock on any door from 49. So from 49 all the way to 55, Nicholas Ray was kind of doing the, the same thing, and that, that brings us to Rebel Without a Cause. Um, so would you like to, to start? Sure. I mean, I, I can I can take it away. I guess. Um, I mean, honestly, I don't really know much about James Dean's career or anything like that, other than the fact that, like, he is an American icon of sorts. I've, I don't know anything, you know, else about the man, about the life he lived, or about the other works that he's done. He's just kind of like a, he's like the Mona Lisa. Like, it's a painting, you know, at a certain extent. Um, I, I liked the movie. I liked it a lot. Um, I think that of the, the two, I think I might prefer the latter one that we'll talk about later. Um, but like, I think that this, this movie does a really interesting view of what it's like to be a a teen in the fifties in this kind of like melodramatic world of, of LA. And yeah, I think I'll, I think I'll leave it there. (laughs) <laughs> okay no that's good um i agree with you i think i also prefer blackboard jungle but we'll get into that a little bit more i think later i liked rebel without a cause a lot it isn't it's one that i had heard a lot of and seen clips of but even honestly like going through film school it wasn't one that that i saw mm-hmm. um I ended up seeing something completely different from this time, actually, that was another kind of, like, thematic, you know, thing. Um, But that one was pointed at the pharmaceutical industry, and it was about this husband that, like, takes, um, like, this heart medication that makes him go, like, mad. Um, (laughs) But, anywho, that's neither here nor there. So, but this one was one that, like, I had managed to just completely avoid for forever. Um... So this was your first time seeing this as well? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, and I thought that it was good, you know. Um, in many ways, I think it lived up to a lot of the hype. I think that this, to me, I think was cinematically one of the closest things that we've come to with a adaptation of Catcher in the Rye. Mm-hmm. And I see a lot of those similar themes in, in Catcher in the Rye with this character, this sort of malaise with life what's it all about this kind of teenage nihilism uh this so much (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) um and i think that this story manages to really capture it uh very well what's um what's interesting is is watching dean's performance you know i think there are times where he's really really great and it's probably the times where his emotions are at their their largest i think most of the time um, when, when scenes are heightened in, in any particular direction, whether it's extreme good or extreme bad, I think that's probably when he's at his best. Yeah. Um, but I think that he did do a great job and I understand why people were kind of attracted to him. He does have this weird charisma, even if I don't think that his performance is necessarily the best overall performance given in the film, I do think he has this charisma that, Mm -hmm. that draws you in. Um, I think the movie, um, and this is just sort of speaking critically, varies for a moment. I do think the movie drags kind of a little bit. Um, Yeah, I'd say that that's fair. 
it all takes place over the course of like 24 hours essentially and like what a long day the world's longest 24 hours i don't i don't think that we see the the main character i don't think that we see him sleep like the entire mm-hmm. time i think that that's kind of why he feels a little like drunk half of the time yeah. it's just because like maybe he's just so tired yeah that's a fair <laughs> point um but i do think that this movie definitely hit a really interesting zeitgeist um what i found extra interesting though when i decided to do a little digging um is this movie was sort of handed around a little bit there was an irving shulman um treatment and like early draft of the script i guess that it ended up being what Stuart stern went on to write um that's also based off of some nicholas ray story notes on on the idea all i'm hearing is a lot of people had their hands on oh i'm not even done yet (laughs) so apparently though what all this actually comes from um is actually another book that shares the title rebel without a cause but what's interesting is that book supposedly comes from a uh psychologist or a, a psychoanalyst of some kind um and it was rebel without a cause the hypnoanalysis of a criminal psychopath and he apparently in that book um described the psychopath as someone incapable of exertions for the sake of others okay wow um and apparently like literally almost none of his book is actually in rebel without a cause it's like just the title um but i think that at the core you get some of the idea some of the some of the whole thing is this guy who keeps on getting thrown into these situations where he has to do things and is he doing them for him or is he doing them for other people and why is he doing them um but i think that it doesn't really get too much deeper than that i mean i think that some of the some of the characters are are a little what we would call um not stable in any real um yeah i i don't i don't know um so i feel like that maybe probably translates a little bit more than i think they meant for it to yeah I don't know how much I can say without completely, like, spoiling it. Well, look, it. the movie's been out since 1955. I don't think it matters. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the kid kills puppies. Yeah, okay, so that's what I wanted to... <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up, actually. So, real quickly, let me just say this. The movie is is definitely worth the watch, and, like, it's a good movie. It's honestly not a bad movie in any way. It drags a little bit, but for the most part, it's a really interesting slice-of-life movie with some good performances all around. And that's kind of my big, broad, technical brushstroke of the movie. It is a little clumsy with some of its, I think, technical aspects, but that's just because it was using two pretty new methods at the time, um, Technicolor and Cinemascope, both of which were kind of like cutting-edge technologies at the time that were pretty limited. Mm -hmm. Um, So it definitely is visually not always like, you know, even as striking as other films of the time but i think that it's an interesting cultural touchstones for performance um and that kind of thing and that's just sort of my big broad analytical overview Mm -hmm. getting into what i think is really interesting in talking about the movie you you mentioned the killing of the puppies 
there are a lot of things in here that when you look back at them from a modern lens color certain things about this movie very differently yeah so this movie was done in 1955 where the notion of like a of, of a sociopath in in the context that we sort of have pop pop culturized the notion of a sociopath you know that that didn't really take form until the 70s mm-hmm. um and moving into the 80s you know, and one of the classic things that everyone talks about is the the harming of animals. We've got a kid here who is 100% like the archetype of the person who becomes like, you know, a psychopathic serial killer. You know, it's the he's like the classic sociopath build. He has a history of harming animals um at a young age he's supposed to be the actor himself was like 15 16 when he did this yeah so um it's this character named um plato, plato. he his nickname is plato and um which is also interesting he monikers himself but that's neither here nor there because he doesn't have friends so no one gave him that nickname i imagine no, so yeah. he monikers himself he harms animals he's isolated He's a pathological liar. And then you look at his home life. He is from a wealthy background, but his mother is cold and blames him for things that have gone wrong in their life mm-hmm. and has abandoned him. And his father is gone. And he lives with like the the housemaid or, yes. or whomever his caretaker he's, is. He's raised by like essentially just the housekeeper at large you know yeah she does everything um and and so it's this weird interesting he's like the mold that people talk about of certain kinds of serial killers you know these directionless parentless people who had all of the signs that they were unwell early and and ends up acting out and he does in this movie he Mm -hmm. ends up acting out he ends up latching onto James Dean in a very unhealthy way. Yeah. And then he ends up, you know, James Dean has pissed off this group of of rebel people who were kind of just as, you know, violent, but in different ways, more overt ways. Yeah, the, the gang, mm-hmm. I guess we would call them. Street gang. Yeah. Teen gang. And uh, so they come to attack and it ends up leading to the kid, you know, having a gun and shooting someone. And... Um, and it's all just this very melodramatic sort of look. It honestly, it did remind me on a certain level of, and I, I don't necessarily condone the show on any level, and I guess I can't necessarily say that on a certain level I condone this movie. Parts of it reminded me of certain elements of 13 Reasons Why. Mm. Because like in season two, there's, um, I know this because of my brother's uh, girlfriend. Um, (laughs) i do not watch 13 reasons why so um (laughs) there's like a school shooter who comes to the school and what ends up happening is like a group of the kids it's during a dance and what ends up happening is like a group of the kids decide that they're gonna go and try and like talk the shooter down and it's the worst idea that you could ever have. Oh, oh, um, and yeah. But that's kind of the same exact thing that happens here. This kid ends up having a gun, shoots a kid, uh, blames James Dean, maybe is going to kill James Dean because maybe he loves him, maybe he wants him to be his dad. 
Um, and he ends up running off, and James Dean is like, I know, it's my fault, so I've got to, I've got to be the bigger person here and go and get him and help him out of this jam. And so he sneaks into the back of the observatory. Yeah, um, even though the police are there and there's, like, somebody trying to talk him down from the outside with a megaphone, but, like, James Dean's like, I got this, fam. Don't mm-hmm. you fret. And so he ends up going in and, and talking this kid down. And so there's so much about this movie that in a modern context is so fascinating to recontextualize and put in a different perspective and it's also it's kind of hard at times to almost go and get into even though we are all teenagers at times in our own ways you know and we all act out and act as teenagers everyone has acted like a shithead teenager that's just a fact (laughs) um but you know it's all the varying ways and so it was interesting to go back and try and put yourself into the feet of these people and Mm -hmm. and their emotional headspace and try and empathize and connect and understand with where they were coming from even though it was out of out of time honestly because a lot of the the things that they would use as as a means of like affection or or to to explain the transition from being a child to this weird bubble that is teenagedom that's not adult but is also not you know you're not a baby anymore it's interesting to try and 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 pull yourself i guess into that headspace more and like bring it into more you have to i guess bring it into a more modern sense because otherwise a lot of the stuff in there i was like oh that's a choice you know just looking at it at the bare bones of what this movie was presenting itself to me without any of my prior knowledge of the 50s does that make sense yeah absolutely um for sure and i you know i think that you talk about that strange it's trying to capture that place of to borrow like a, a joke i don't know where it came from i can't remember where i heard it um, there's this this kid that's standing around shaking and crying, and they're like, you know, uh, what's what's the matter? And the kid's like, well, um, or the kid's not crying. The kid's just standing there shaking, and the kid looks like they want to cry. And someone comes up and is like, what's the matter? And the kid's like, well, my, my dad says that uh, I'm too old to cry, and my mom says I'm too young to swear. Oh. Yeah, that's kind of where this movie sits mm-hmm. a little bit. Well, and it's because really, not only because of the post-war boom, but because of social change where now there were child labor laws and things like that, but also economic prosperity and a middle class existed, you did suddenly have a whole group of people who for the first time didn't have really much of anything to do because it used to be you were a child and you did just a little bit of work until you eventually kind of got to be a teenager, and then you did a lot more work. Yeah. You know, and you worked alongside adults in adult jobs. And now we've changed the game. Yeah, you know, for the first time, it was understood that, like, no, you were going to take the time to slow down and fill your brain and not do adult things... And so it ended up creating this kind of, I think, you know, that weird, well, now what? And I think that there there have been times all throughout history where certain shifts have now created this attitude of, 
well now what you know when when nomads finally shifted to society i'm sure that there were a lot of people who were like now do i do i i had so much walking time yeah (laughs) do i do i fill that with sitting now i don't know (laughs) i gotta i've gotta do something Hmm. you know that kind of thing and then they started thinking and yeah exactly crazy new stuff started happening then so it's that kind of thing yeah yeah you know i get you i get you um but I, I think that that also gives us a, a perfect sort of segue to our, our next film, which explores it in another kind of light, Blackboard yes, um, Jungle. Um, let's, so, but let's, let's before we... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, since you started, go ahead. Out of, out of five? Um, out of five. Oof. Um, I'm going to give this movie, I think, a two. Ooh. Like, I... Damn I, skills. <laughs> And I don't mean that, I guess, in a negative sense, but, like, I have to give this movie its dues for how age has has affected it, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, some things have not aged well with this movie, um, and while I think it is a really interesting window into a perspective, I'm not saying that I'm gonna watch this movie all the time. Okay, I get that. You know? Um, so, yeah. No, like, I, I liked it, but also, like coolio and one one and done (laughs) okay i'm gonna go three and a half oh okay um i i think that there are a lot of merits to the story i think it is interesting and i think that it also has a lot of revisit value for a lot of reasons that maybe even extend beyond the the meat of the film itself yeah, but you know me. I'm I'm not really a Holden Caulfield kind of a person. No, yeah. And our lead is pretty much a Holden Caulfield for me, and I just can't. Yeah. <laughs> you struggle with that, I get that. No, yeah. Like, what do you have to be so angry about? Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> Your life is fine. Yeah, especially compared to some of our next film. Ex- um, oh, yeah. So, our next film is Blackboard Jungle, and as always... We have a clip, so take a listen. You are now listening to Rock Around the Clock. This is the theme music from MGM's sensational new picture, Blackboard Jungle. Many people said the story could not, must not, dared not be shown. The picture already has the movie and book world gasping. Blackboard Jungle deals with an explosive subject, the teenage terror in the schools. It is the frankest, the toughest, the most realistic film since On the Waterfront. It is fiction, but fiction torn from big city modern savagery. It packs a brass knuckle punch in its startling revelation of those teenage savages who turned big city schools into a clawing jungle. So, that was Blackboard Jungle from 1955, directed by Richard Brooks. Written by Richard Brooks, adapted from a novel, The Blackboard Jungle, by Evan Hunter. Starring Glenn Ford, Anne Francis, Louis Calhern, Margaret Hayes, and Sidney Poitier. Uh, a very young Sidney Poitier, before he went on and, and won lots of Oscars and, and, and that sort of thing. Broke history as the first black man to win an Oscar for acting. Yeah, he did. Um, 
The premise of the film is a new English teacher at a violent, unruly inner city school <laughs> is determined to do his job, despite resistance from both students and faculty. How'd I do on the voice? I think you did a, I think you did a marvelous, darling. Absolutely marvelous. Thank you. Um, so this movie is from the same year, and it's from the same wave even though this this movement started again in the late 40s of the of the social consciousness sort of films mm-hmm. even though it started back then it definitely carried into now and it's very present in this movie because it starts with a message from the filmmakers saying that they want you to take the issue of delinquency seriously and that though this is fiction you know this this is meant to promote change and thought about this problem in America. Well, honestly, you can feel it throughout the whole thing. They yeah. are really mm. serious about, like, you know, making sure that this, unlike the other movie, isn't, like, there. there's no jokes here. No. We're not joking with this subject by any any stretch of the, of the word, you know. It, like, the, like the clip says, it's ultra-realistic feeling. More so than the other one, mm-hmm. I'd say. No, absolutely. Um, so, do you want me to take? Do you want me to start this? Sure. One? All right. Um, ultimately, I really liked this one. I think you're right. This this one tackles into that sort of again that that pseudo documentary feel that we were talking about. And whereas Rebel Without a Cause was filmed in L.A. in CinemaScope in color, which was still a pretty you know revolutionary process for the time and ultra wide was definitely a big deal for the time this thing is done um either on location or on very small sets um in new york and it's black and white and it is very it's very much grittier and Mm -hmm. it isn't told from the perspective of the the teenager to try and empathize into their perspective this one is told from the perspective of the authority figures who want to empathize but just can't in any way yeah and as i watched it i really liked it a lot and it also kind of broke my heart on a certain level because there were so many ways where i still saw essentially the exact same problems in in 1955 school as as was present in in my school when i was a teacher you know um people who who just don't get the kids who who also assume the worst of the kids and assume that the kids can't do better and even though some of this movie was definitely like probably hyper exaggerated and a little bit overly glamorized like it felt pretty comparatively i think to for me comparatively to rebel without a cause this did feel like it was trying to ground it in something a little bit more real um and also with that uh, i think a little bit more successfully painful at times but also successfully rewarding Mm -hmm. at times i think the emotional payoffs of this movie are way better no i i can i can completely agree with that um I really, I really enjoyed this movie. Um, I, it was, it was tough getting those, those same struggles that we, we go through, you know, 
like a cycle almost it was I remember hearing you talk about school and you know just wanting to teach and not understanding you know how to how to get through to, to every student in every class and I see the same things in this movie it felt very grounded in the reality that like the, this is where these kids live this is how these kids have been brought up you know and breaking breaking molds on every on every platform of of the of the subject I thought I, I really enjoyed it <laughs> as I just give it like a glowing review <laughs> no yeah and um I completely agree it um it it for me did at times feel kind of as long or even maybe a little longer mm, yeah. than rebel without a cause but i think that's also just because it was so much more dense it was over as opposed to you know stretching 24 hours into this this one hour 50 minute experience of a bunch of teenagers being upset and doing teen things like knife fights and and car chases um or yeah. car races you know um this is across an entire school year you know and it's this struggle this ongoing struggle and on a certain level maybe that's to the film's credit it feels sometimes just as much of a trudgery as school can you know mm. <laughs> you know like yeah at times it is just as like damn it if we can't just you know <laughs> get this thing a going a little bit smoother mm -hmm. then everything would just be better you know um yeah but i thought the performances were great sydney portier did absolutely steal like almost every scene he was in mm -hmm. um and like the you know the big star of the movie is um glenn ford our our teacher he was he was the big star of the movie um, but Sidney Portia absolutely blew the thing open. He steals every scene that he's in. And I, I thought that the teacher does a the great job, the lead. I thought Glenn Ford did do a great job. Yeah, I mean, this movie is, is very, I guess, um, how how would you call it? Like, uh, uh, what are they called? The blue, you know, the, the Republican, no. Damn it. Um, <laughs> the blue collar Demo Democrat. That's what it's called. The blue collar Democrat. Where, um, you know, it's it's so progressive for the time. They're talking about stuff that I, I guess when I imagine the fifties in my mind, you know, we didn't we didn't talk about people losing babies or anything like that. You know, it was so pish posh, so hush hush, and this movie is like, no, racism is bad. You know, we have to be concerned about these things. We have to work as a community, you know, in order to to, to get better. And like, sure, this this movie has like every movie i feel like to a certain extent has some aging issues and they there are some like you know we're gonna punch a child but it's usually a child who who punched first so um but no i just i really feel like we're, we're almost kind of like watching just like an older version of like a similar time just play out right in this movie where i'm like yep the same old struggle same old same old but like these are these are also the the people who are like no Let's 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 not do still any of the things that even back in the fifties they wanted to do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, you're totally fine. 
you're totally fine <laughs> no because like essentially what i think that you know what she's getting at is is that back in this movie what glenn ford is kind of preaching you know at one point is you know you need to stop looking at these kids as animals and like are there are there some bad bad kids like you know here that maybe you know aren't going to ever circle around sure but what you need to do is you need to get the ones that you can reach out to you need to reach out to them Mm -hmm. you know and you need to pull them onto your side and you need to engage with these kids and you need to understand their community and where they're coming from and you need to reach out to them in ways that that are impactful and meaningful to them you know, if you want to get them thinking the way that you want them to think, you have to f- to find the things that are going to spark their brain. And all the times, you know, I, I would hear, you know, oh, kids can't do that. You know, these kids can't do that. These kids can't learn that. Why? You because, know? <laughs> because they live in this neighborhood? That's that's presumptuous. And so, but, and, and so I think to, to what my wife was, was saying was that there isn't really that much of a dissimilarity in some of the struggles that have been have that people have been facing for a long time and we could you know potentially do some of these things moving forward and i think that she just sometimes is is very frustrated by the lack of momentum and how it can sometimes very much seem that we are still fighting the same battles that we were fighting then. But I, I think that that's also kind of why I liked doing this episode was because it did highlight how how even though some of the, the content and some of the context and some of the touchstones have changed, the arguments and the and the undertones and the underpinnings have not. Yeah, and I, I love I love getting to go back and watch the things that for somebody was new and exciting and interesting and getting to see a glimpse of the things that that they you know, how they lived their lives and how they deemed worthy, you know, the to, to portray, I guess, different types of society in different ways and how we can use that to, to grow as a society instead of just repeating and repeating the same kind of conflict and and non-resolution i guess that we've been doing for so long but it is i loved watching these movies um i'm i'm i always love going back and watching old stuff you know me i i usually stop in the 80s um so yay 50s movies (laughs) huzzah Teenagedom hasn't really changed, guys. Honestly, that's all I learned from watching these movies is that we all go through angsty phases where we think our parents don't understand, but they've totally been there, just a different version of there. And we all just have to take a breath and learn to listen to each other better. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, as a as a random aside, beyond also, um, you know, having... A, I think I'm sure, you know, a modern and divisive message, even by today's standards, it was also divisive back then, um, with some people saying that the story matter of the story, uh, the story matter of the story, I'm such an idiot, <laughs> um, with some people saying that the story 
was almost too melodramatic, too fantastical, too out there to possibly um, make any of its claims believable or worth listening to. Ha! <laughs> I think that that's hysterical. Like, you know, if only I could bring these people to the modern to the, age. To the point where kids are coming to school with clear backpacks. Yeah, because... and, and walking through, like, metal detectors and yeah. stuff. Yeah, no, they, they wouldn't know what to do with themselves. Mm-hmm. But also, this is the system that made our, our present possible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, I, I think, I think you make great points and I think that this was a great, I think it was a great little movie and a great little window. Um, and even if some of the film's elements are a little bit overly sensationalized, uh, I think that ultimately it does have a good core and a good grounded, I think it also has a good grounded, uh, cast and good grounded portrayals, mm-hmm. um, that really help, help keep the film from just being some melodramatic crap kind of teen message movie because it could be a reefer madness kind of thing where it's like so ludicrous yeah in its messaging but But i think that it manages to to walk it well yeah i think that this movie is very like personable like i can relate to these people in a way that i couldn't relate to what um Oh gosh, what was his name? Jim? Jim was going mm-hmm. through in the last movie. Jim Stark. Ah, yeah, 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 because I kept making Iron Man jokes, that's mm-hmm. right. <laughs> um, and as a, as a little fun fact, this movie in 2016 was marked for preservation uh, by the Library of Congress. Uh, Blackboard Jungle was. Oh, nice. Uh, for the National Film Registry. So there's a little a little fun fact for you. Yeah, I think this was a little a little gem of history, mm-hmm. honestly. Uh, so what would you give Blackboard Jungle out of out of five? See, and I was like, I was gonna give this one like a four. Okay. <laughs> are, are you still standing by that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I still, I still. Well, I was like, you know, I. You gave the other one a really high, high score, and I was like, oh, crap, you know. <laughs> I didn't want to be reversed on this one, too. No, I'm going to give this one a four. <laughs> oh, perfect. Yay. Two fours coming at you live. Um, no, I like this quite a bit. Yay. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, that's kind of our, our overarching thing on, on teenagers. You know, I guess if I if I did have to say anything, it's that... Teenagers are, at the end of the day, people. They are early forming people, and they need to be treated as such. And the way that you're going to do that is is with respect and also with grounding it and and shooting them straight and being honest with them. Mm-hmm. In, in my every class, every teacher has one class that is like their, their more difficult class. Even in a class or in a school full of nothing but great kids, there will always be one class that is comparatively your more difficult class. Mm-hmm. And I think that in, in my class that I could sometimes have a little bit more of a, um, of a struggle with, especially as a first year teacher. Um, one of the things that really helped change some of the dynamics of that was when I started to help some students and they started to see some of their their grades positively turn around because it was essentially a, a sort of remedial class for kids who had failed one of the state assessments. 
And one of the big changes that I saw in that class behaviorally was when they started to pass mm-hmm. the assessment that they failed the year before and weren't going to have to, like that was a big change in our relationship in that class, you know? Yeah, because um, there's, it's not only just like a positive growth of, of, you know, within the system, but also, you know, it's a, it's a personal growth because achievement is, is the best kind of reward, you know, grades are great, you know, giving somebody your praise is great, but having that for yourself, I think is like, is, is the biggest motivator. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, you know, there, it's always hard and, and you just, it, you do have to be patient. And, and I wasn't always, you know, the most patient as a teacher. Um, and it's teaching is a hard job. Yeah. Um, but teachers and students are both at the end of the day people. And I think both of them, you know, the message I think at the end of Blackboard Jungle is respect in both directions goes a long way. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that probably, uh, is, is still very resonant today. Yeah, yeah, I'd say that that's fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on cool. in some slightly other directions, if we may. Mm-hmm, of course. We recently had the trailer released for Matrix Resurrections, the upcoming Wachowski uh, fourth Matrix installment. Mm-hmm. It's the same trailer, I believe, that was debuted at CinemaCon last week. It matches the trailer description that we got. Mm-hmm. What were your thoughts on it? Oh gosh, sorry. I, I feel like my thoughts are not going to be like any anything related to the actual thing. Keanu, what is going on with your hair right now? This is like the fourth trailer for a movie that I've seen this year where you have the same just like I didn't give a fuck today hairstyle. I think and, this is just how he's living. Okay, I mean, I guess that's fine. But like, you know, I don't know. What happened to costuming? <laughs> Um, I, 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 other than that, it looks just like another Matrix movie. It looks like a movie where they were like, hey, people liked the Matrix. Let's bring it back. But like throw a little bit of Ready Player One in it. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm on the fence. (laughs) No, that's fair. Uh, so the trailer pretty much shows pretty classic Matrix stuff. I wouldn't say that it gets too much into the plot. It looks like. Keanu, Tom Anderson is having to escape from the Matrix again. And that seems to be what it is. And except this time without Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah, but a different <laughs> black guy in sunglasses who's given me a lot of Lawrence Fishburne vibes. So mm-hmm. it's almost like, you know, it's almost like they're trying to just do that. It's it it's almost like Lawrence um it didn't feel up to to getting into fighting shape and so they were like we're just gonna we're just gonna move on without him honestly with all of this digital nonsense that we keep doing to people's faces and their bodies maybe he didn't want to come back maybe he was smart i mean maybe but like also you know there's really no excuse they can do anything with digital editing nowadays but maybe he was the smart one of the group maybe he was the one that was like you know what that's yeah i'm out because like it, it feels like if I if I can you know guesstimate it feels like this movie is gonna be like him in the Matrix you know having visions of the past and being reminded of people and and why do I recognize this woman's face? It's because we've had a whole future past life together. 
nonsense mamba jamba he's gonna get back into the thing and then they're gonna make a whole new a whole new movie franchise out of this we're gonna have six new movies 10 tvs shows and on all, all the nonsense because it's never gonna end that's fair so this one is written exclusively by lana wachowski okay um, Lily is not, I guess, involved in the writing and directing of this one. So this is also the first Matrix film that is a, a solo outing for the Wachowskis. This might be their first solo outing directing. This might be her first solo outing directing ever without her sister. Because um, they did like all three of the original Matrix together. They did Speed Racer. I think they did Speed Racer together. Um, they did... Um, cloud atlas they did jupiter ascending wait you said the speed racer you mean mm-hmm. like that remake movie of that old anime yeah oh uh and yeah jupiter ascending cloud atlas and this feels like jupiter ascending cloud atlas wachowski's doing the matrix this doesn't feel like the wachowski's going back to the filmmakers that made those first three movies this feels like the people who have now made Cloud Atlas and Jupiter Ascending, which are these big, 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 uh, I'm going to call them CGI operas kind of a thing. So, now doing that with The Matrix. So, so also, I was right with saying it is the Ready Player One. Yeah, I'd say a little bit. Oh. Well, and also there was a lot of color coding to the point that I, I, I maybe you didn't notice it, but I saw Neil Patrick Harris, and obviously he's taking blue pills, you know, which are the ones that are supposed to keep him in the Matrix. Yeah. But then, like Neil Patrick Harris had like the blue. Oh, and he had like pill like glasses. Yeah, and he had like on. a blue sweater or something on. And then yeah, there's he's... the chick who shows up with blue hair, and I'm like, okay, so she must also be an agent guy. of the Matrix, you know. Um, but maybe that's also just double blind. But that's also part of the problem, I guess, when like you know you're just doing like a whole bunch of stuff visually already there were times where i was like is it that she can be trusted and like obviously we'll figure out when we see the movie but it it just you know this is an entire franchise where i have to go all right let's just start over again so matrix one rewatch because like (laughs) i all of the details are just so all over the place now and this thing didn't really help it just showed me all of the things that i already knew about the matrix that i was supposed to look out for and yeah so i don't know at least it has Jonathan Groff. Oh, well, you know, I always like Jonathan Groff. Mm-hmm. At least it has Jonathan Groff, so... Everybody gets one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we also watched, and we don't have to talk too much about it, we watched a trailer for Malignant uh, as well, the the new James Wan horror movie. Oh, oh, yeah, the... It God. looks all right. Yeah, it looks fine. I have no idea what this movie's about. It looks like... My general thought is that she literally willed her own haunting Mm. that she like made an imaginary friend and maybe even that like she eventually cut off the imaginary friend and maybe it started to haunt her as a child and then she like got rid of it but now it's back well yeah because it's the whole like um the hill house thing where you gotta go back to your trauma place and because your psychologist said so like that's what well, it looked like where she was like i gotta go back to my family home and and do the trauma stuff well and what's interesting is 
you know no offense to james wan but he was like i'm trying to do something new and when when i was watching this i was like no this feels pretty james wanish it's a person who is haunted by something that isn't a typical haunting but it is still at its core a haunting that's related to some suppressed part of their childhood mm-hmm. that is now bursting into their present life again causing yeah. them new issues uh once more yeah um I, I mean, maybe it's got something more in store. I hope so. And, like, d- don't get me wrong. Like, don't, I hope that my tone doesn't doesn't say, you know, I could be pleasantly surprised by this movie. By all means, just currently with the trailer, I'm, it looks like just, you know, another an, horror movie. It looks yeah. like another thing that might make me jump a few times and, like, I'll walk away going, I don't remember any of the lead's names. Um, former guest Clark Collis saw it, and he said that he... He seemed to like it. Okay. So who knows? Perhaps we'll we'll enjoy it. I think it's about. To, I think it's coming out this Friday, actually. Oh, okay. Cool. So we could maybe give that a watch. Yeah, give everything a chance. By the way, I meant to mention this. Um, Rebel Without a Cause is on HBO Max if you want to watch it, and Blackboard Jungle is available to rent for like two ninety nine. No, it was, or was that on, on sale because of our thing? It was, it was on sale at the time. Its regular renting price is two ninety nine. so I don't want to tell people that we rented it for 99 cents and then have them go and be like, it's two ninety nine. It well, is normally I mean, two ninety nine to rent. You know, just do it literally right now. Stop what you're doing, turn off this podcast. Unless, and of course, it's oh. already gone. Well, then, you know, drop that $3. You know you've done that in-app purchase today of more, so... <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that's kind of news on trailers. Um, not too, too terribly much sort of, I think, big media news that's worth discussing beyond Mm. that. Oh, that's so, that's so nice. Sometimes you just don't really want to have like a lot of news. Yeah. Um. I mean, that could just be me. (laughs) (laughs) Beyond that, um, I would also like to give a little shout out. It's recording, we're recording on September 9th, but the episode's coming out tomorrow, September 10th. And so that means that it's my sister's birthday. Woo! So happy birthday to my sister. She's she's pretty awesome. Maybe I'll try and have her on the show sometime. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to get a friend of hers on who works in production, but I'll, I'll we'll have to see where that goes. But happy birthday. Yes, happy birthday. Um, last thing, uh, let's talk about what we've been watching honestly we've kind of been doing a random assortment of stuff yeah i um, mean let's see all the new stuff other than like film buds things we watched barb and star go to vista del mar yeah uh we watched barb and star go to vista del mar which was absolutely hilarious yeah we had a great time yeah um we kind of just went into it thinking you know It'll be a, a Kristen Wiig comedy, and we'll we'll have some fun because it's it's a straightforward comedy, and people it it seems to be getting positive feedback, and we ended up having an absolute ball. Yeah, honestly, blown away. I yeah. think that this is probably my my new favorite Kristen Wiig performance, um, of, of of in a while. Yeah, and it's it's right in that same vein as as some of the weird 
out there, goofy, dumb, kind of Will Ferrell, stupid but smart movie choices of like, you know, Anchorman, Step Brothers, stuff like that. I think that it's in that same energy. Yeah. Wayne's World. Yeah, but dumb I think it's, it's doing it more um, earnestly instead yeah. of like ironically. And so like it's actually funny instead mm-hmm. of it being like, oh, I see that they're trying to do a joke here. Delightful. Yeah. No, for sure. And it, they're not trying to do their versions of those characters or those character archetypes it's just too in their own special way goofy sometimes dumb characters yeah it's it's like a buddy comedy except you know this time it's it's these two female friends who are co-workers and who just like you know have bonded and and they're and they're absolutely hilarious but it's it's it was a really good time. We did it for date night, mm-hmm. and it was it was a lot of fun. So we definitely recommend it. Yeah, highly. Also watched more. Um, Legend nature. of Korra. Oh yeah, we watched more Legend of Korra. We've been watching a few nature docs. We recently watched an episode of The Hunt on uh, Discovery, which is all about. Uh, predator prey dynamics and predators and the difficulty of hunting and and how failed how many failed attempts there are at hunting and why and that sort of thing Mm -hmm. and it was really good it's it's a david attenborough uh documentary so so you know it's gonna be good it's got his his nice soothing british voice just to like you know lull (laughs) you so we've been very much enjoying that the other thing we did it was a rewatch for me. It was her first time seeing it. We only did one episode, Wormwood, the Errol Morris yes, documentary. Yes, yes. What did you think of that? Oh, I really enjoyed it. I didn't really know uh, what you just kind of put it on. So I started watching it without any context, which which was fine because I, I caught up eventually. Um, it kind of starts almost in the middle of a story. I, I really enjoyed it. It's It was weird knowing that this thing happened in real life and that nobody knew about it for like 25 years or whatever yeah because of government stuff yeah um the mk ultra experiments and some of the some of the release of information that happened in the 70s is also when you get some of the reveal of some of the cointel pro operations Mm -hmm. and things like that that happened as well yeah you get a lot of document reveals and leaks in the 70s and it's it is partially because of the distrust and because of the you know this attitude of well if there's if if they're doing this mm-hmm. what else are they doing mm-hmm. um and so it's it's a great documentary errol morris is an incredible documentarian he's been around for a long time he's the one who first started using he's the one who really pioneered recreation dramatic recreation okay. in documentaries yeah it really felt almost kind of like like a 24 hours or the the 48 hours show that used to come on except you know with with better casting yeah um and in his first thing that he used recreation for it was thin blue line which was about a a, a crime and people who were incarcerated for it and the conflicting narratives that you had around some of the events of the night of the crime Hmm. and he used recreation to sometimes show how how thin the line was between you know truth and and perception and so you know a character would or not a character but a person in the documentary would be like oh you know the person drove away in a black whatever and they would show it 
and then later on someone would be like and this and the person drove away in a blue this and then from the exact same angle that the last one was shown Mm -hmm. in the same lighting conditions they would show a blue make of the car Mm -hmm. and then they would also sometimes you know show the two of them back together and he does a lot of things to draw your attention and play with and highlight words and ideas and and specific parts of the text that he wants you Mm -hmm. to focus on so like the whole fell or jumped in the first episode Mm -hmm. of wormwood where he's flipping the this image oh yeah and the screen does that like mirroring break where it's like every he's just repeating it over and over again it was very effective i was mm -hmm. like what is happening (laughs) yeah because the the sentence is essentially the this guy being like fell or jumped and i spent years arranging how those words you know could sort of mean similar things to each other Mm -hmm. and what all those words could mean and so they take that like sentence and then they just tile it out and multiply it yeah no i i also you know with the with times changing how Mm -hmm. how long it took them to get this information out because you know the fell or jumped thing wouldn't have even been a problem nowadays with technology and um you know with how far we've we've advanced as a society we could definitely figure out how you got from point a to point b in which direction mm-hmm. now whereas like they they were like this is official yeah it is it is an or yeah <laughs> um but no absolutely incredible and it it also shows how little tiny events matriculate and and find their way back up the ladder to big names and big people because ultimately very casually name dropped in this episode are how two people who were aware of this were dick cheney and donald rumsfeld Mm -hmm. by the time we hit the 70s who Mm -hmm. arranged for the shady deal that took away their ability to sue yeah, for and them, so like, that kind the of president and stuff like yeah, that. and yeah. so that even folds into the modern day narrative of of what we know of some of the shady things that Ronald uh, that uh, Rumsfeld and and Cheney, and Cheney did. did. Yeah, so it's fascinating to see where all of these pocket events also in history fit into a larger landscape of other abuses and things that were happening at the time and and, and, honestly, and echoes in history i love like uncovering these these little truths because at the end of the day these were things that we were never going to be taught in school because if if the people who have done wrong in history wanted us to know all of their dirty laundry then it would be in the books yeah that's that's a fact and and so like i love yeah let's let's rip it all away let's let's discover what it truly means to be a part of this nation, to, to be an American in this sense, because our history is not something to run away from. It defines us, and that way we can move past it. Yeah. No, I think that that's really good. I think that that's fair. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that we've been watching is Looming Tower, mm-hmm. which is, of course, about... It's based on a book called Looming Tower, which is about the... The book is about the events leading up to 9-11 tracking specific people from Afghanistan and other various parts of the world, as well as tracking the trajectory of certain people in the American intelligence apparatus, and how all of these events and timelines and strings lead to Mm 9-11. And the show focuses pretty much exclusively, it does investigate 
all of the things that lead to it, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But primarily it focuses on the U.S. intelligence apparatus. And we've watched two or three episodes of that. Yes. What What are your thoughts on that? Um, I, I really enjoy it. Um, the, I feel like I say that about a lot of things, you know, start out everything with a, I really enjoy it. <laughs> um, it's, I, 9-11 is a, is a tough subject and I don't know if I'll ever personally be able to not say that, but I think that this show does a really good job of, of giving the facts as, as, as plainly and, you know. With, with some dramatization, of course, for show show appeal, um, to, to, to kind of separate, I guess, for me, a little bit of it, and, and so that I can get all the information in and understand what happened without just, like, it being a whole series of, like, watching the towers go down, and I don't, I don't think that I would be able to handle that, and I'm, I'm really glad that they didn't do that. Yeah. Absolutely. I think whenever you're doing movies about tragedy, about trauma, about a big event like that there are always debates around waiting period of when it's safe to discuss it and certain things i don't think matter as much deepwater horizon i think it was it was totally fine when the movie for deepwater horizon for me as a viewer came out compared to when the deepwater horizon event happened Mm -hmm. The Boston Marathon bombing was maybe a little bit more on the too soon side, and I could certainly understand people having that opinion. 9-11 is one that people tried to touch, I feel like, pretty quickly after. And well, people, that movie came out that was like um, the, the day of kind of event where... It the was World the, Trade Center movie with Nick Cage? Yeah, yeah, where he's like trying to dig people out. Yeah. And that came pretty close after, I think. Yeah. Within that like 10-year bubble. Yeah, somewhere in there. And so there were a few that came out. There was, I think, one of the earliest two that I can remember even earlier than that one that stirred up a lot of controversy. The first one was Remember Me, I think it was called, which was the Robert Pattinson romance movie with the surprise ending where, like, his, if I'm not mistaken, it was this movie where, like, the surprise ending is that his dad works in the World Trade Center and he, like, goes to talk to his dad, like, about his relationship and stuff like that. Oh, and, like, what? it turns out that it's, like, 9-11. Oh, and no. And I'm pretty no, sure that this no. was, like, a whole thing that happened. I could be wrong. That's um, fine. I I think that my subconscious knew that I didn't need to know that this movie existed. And I just, I missed it entirely <laughs> in real time. Um, and then a, another <laughs> one was the movie United 93 from director Paul Greengrass, I think, who directed Born Ultimatum, Born Supremacy green zone some other things and it was all about the the plane that ends up not going into the the trade center of the pentagon but the one that ended up falling into the field in pennsylvania Mm -hmm. um and that movie got a lot of a lot of heat just because of how soon it was but actually like it's a pretty as far as depictions go, it's a pretty good one. He made this very conscious effort to not use anyone's names. Okay. So instead, it is truly just this kind of story of of the survivors choosing, you know, to try and and do something mm-hmm. in the in these insurmountable odds, mm-hmm. uh, and the sacrifice that they end up making as a result of that. Yeah. 
And so it's a certainly a tough film, but I think that it's probably done more respectfully than a lot of other movies. Than this Robert Pattinson romance movie? I think it's, I think that's what it is. Or like, you know, the, for another example of one that's pretty um, distasteful of something that was tragic, the Hilary Duff horror movie of like the murder of oh, Sharon yes, Tate. yes, yes, yes! Yeah, so, you know, there are definitely more and less tasteful ways of doing that. And that's another point that I have about any, mm-hmm. anything that is trying to, because... It's kind of like the Holocaust. Like, you are probably going to have people who do movies about the Holocaust. How tasteful those movies are, are up to the filmmakers themselves. Mm -hmm. And we're now hitting a point where, you know, 9-11 was 20 years ago this year. And for several of my students, when 9-11 happened... None of them were born. None of them, none of them were born. None of them really seemed interested. It didn't seem to register with them. It wasn't until actually my more difficult class that someone finally was like, you remember 9-11? And it's like, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) sure do. It was a Um, school day, you know. (laughs) But I think that we're now hitting that point of, of finally being sort of comfortable enough to talk about it. You know, I know that it's, it's a weird place for me. It, it did, I remember it very vividly. I was living near the field in Pennsylvania. I was in West Virginia at the time, but I was about 40 minutes from that field in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Um, DC was just right nearby, you know, a day's drive or so, less than. So like, I remember it being a very big time. I remember it being a very big deal. And I remember all of the years, obviously, after and all of the all of the consequences of those actions, some of which we've only just now started to kind of try and dis, uh, disengage from. And, um, but I think that people are finally getting to that point of feeling comfortable enough to talk about it. You know, yeah. I think that it was a really hard, hard thing for a lot of people. And I, I'm sure that for some more directly affected it still is not for them probably something that they're totally totally comfortable talking about but i think that collectively nationally we're probably more more ready for films about it and you know discussions on the topic mm-hmm. well i mean we also have more information now than yeah. we did and i think that that's something to be said about a lot of um movies that come right after huge events in history that are i think too quickly done is that we don't have all of the information we don't have all of the facts yet and i it i think it's hilarious when you get to see that movie out of context and go well now this whole section isn't quite true anymore you know with new information that came if you had just waited a few more years um so let's let's not let's not have any more covid movies come out anytime soon i'm just saying thanks Mm. Um, (laughs) i'm not interested no that's fair it is too soon for for covid movies um what i was gonna also say um was that we were we were considering doing a a a full 9-11 episode and we ended up having some some stuff get in the way of that and so i apologize for that not happening but we ended up doing this back to school episode and which had been on our calendar, but we just <clears throat> moved it forward. I think one thing that I did notice, interestingly, is even in the in the 9-11 content that we did consume, was how there are so many issues across different 
sociopolitical topics and, and backdrops and, and battlegrounds where we have repeated mistakes and echoes of the same conversations and the same things and ideals happening. And it really does make it a little bit of a, of a hard pill to swallow when you go and watch a movie from the 50s that is echoing so many ideas that people are saying today about schools. And it's a little bit hard when you go and learn about decisions that were made in um, in countries like Afghanistan and, and other countries abroad where, you know, the United States meddled in certain directions or, or ended up causing circumstances that, that ended up having unintended consequences that, that you have to ask yourself, you know, was it worth the benefit of the involvement? And that's as far into that discussion as I'll go, but it's a hard pill to, to handle to go back and see how little we have learned. How, are there ways that we have learned and grown? Yes. Are there ways that our fundamental basics are still flawed? Yes. And I think that that's evident in, in, in both of these content fields. No, yeah, com- completely, honestly. Um, and it really just, you know, we have to stop forgetting. Yeah. We like to do this thing where, like, every 50 years we have, like, a nice, like, I don't know, societal cleanse of history. And we go, all right, I don't need the 1800s anymore. We'll just get rid of it, and we'll skip ahead in, in all textbooks in school, and we'll start school learning here, you know? So, yeah, no, it just it just starts with us constantly being, like, aware of these things and learning, actually, from the things that happened in our past instead of having to perpetuate these, these narratives and these problems in order to be like, aha, next time next time's the time let's not let's not have a next time let's have it be this time let's let's break the cycle yeah no i completely agree um yeah that's honestly sort of all that we have um you know i i i really enjoyed this i hope that everyone is enjoying uh their school year i hope that everyone is is staying safe this school year um Dear, thank you as always for coming on. Of course. Did you have a good time? Yes, I did. I'm sorry that we were so long-winded this time. No, they're fine. <laughs> um, no, but thank you, dear, for coming on. Thank you for listening. Um, as always, please go like, subscribe. Uh, you know what? Actually, on our, our Twitter, Film Buds, I did put up a little poll. I'll share the, the final results of the poll next week but uh i did put up a poll on what is your favorite uh teen movie rebel without a cause breakfast club clueless or mean girls currently our winner is mean girls so you know if you want clueless to win uh like i'm sure many of you do go and vote follow us at film buds on twitter the film buds podcast on instagram um, you can send us listener questions at thefilmbudspodcast at gmail.com. And as always, thanks for listening. Keep watching. Bye. Bye. <laughs>